Well, turn with me to James chapter 2, James 2 and verse 12. And today we are continuing in our series in the book of James. It's week two. I just kicked off a new series last week in the book of James. We're going to systematically go through the book of James this next several weeks. And so I should have said this last week, but I want to encourage you. Start reading through the book of James. Maybe you've never read the book of James. I want to encourage you to start reading through it, maybe during your devotion time in the morning. If you have a devotional time, you may be like me. You may read different places. I like to, to try to read two chapters in the Old Testament and uh, one or two in the New Testament every morning as part of my daily devotion. So if you do something like that, just add James to part of it. You say, well, Brandon, I, I don't read the Bible on a regular basis. One of the reasons is because I didn't know where to start. Well, hey, guess what? This month, start in the book of James, right? Open up. Uh, it's a, it's a new New Testament epistle, epistle, it's only five chapters, but as you go through, you can read it slowly, maybe a chapter a day, or even or even a, you could follow along with me as I give the, the, the verse of scripture. I encourage you, I encourage people. Pastor Todd would always do that. Listen, what I preach on Sunday morning, go check it out for yourself. I don't mind. Go see like the Bereans did. Paul was preaching the gospel. The Bible says in Acts, the Bereans would go and study the scriptures to make sure what Paul was preaching was true. Hey, look, I encourage you to do that, right? I believe and know that I'm preaching the Bible and the word of God. And so I want you to go through and read it with me and study because the Lord may show you something. It's amazing how the same story we read a hundred times different people, they get something different from it. God gives them revelation. You know why? Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews that God's word is living. And it's active. So it's living. It's constantly like, uh, coming alive to us in a different way, in different seasons. And it's actively working in our lives. So I want to encourage you to start reading through the book of James as we go through this series. So last week, I laid a foundation for this series by telling you who James was. He was the brother of our Lord Jesus. He became the leader of the, the church in Jerusalem. Who he was writing to, the Bible says that he was writing to Jewish believers scattered abroad. We're going to look at that word again. It means scattered, and the Greek means uh, like seeds being scattered to produce fruit. And his purpose for writing this letter, his purpose was because of spiritual immaturity in the, in the church. And there was a, a plethora of issues going on in the church, and we see a lot of them still going on today. And the problem was they, weren't, they were not maturing in Christ, and that was his perfect purpose for writing this letter. So after I laid that foundation, I also gave you four essentials for turning trouble into triumph from James 1, 2, and 8, and that was adopt an attitude of joy when you go through trials, understand the purpose of trials, number two, surrender to the process, probably better said surrender to God during the process, right? But we do have to surrender. There's a process when we go through trials. And then fourth and finally, ask God for wisdom while you're going through the trials of life. So if you missed it last week, you can go to our app, website, podcast, go watch the YouTube uh, YouTube and Facebook live, you know, and, and you can catch up with last week's message. So today we're going to continue where we ended last week, as I told you, we'll be in James Chapter 1 in verse 12 through 18. Let's read that together. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, look at this, 
became his prized possession. You know, I wasn't even planning on saying this in the first service, but I, I thank the Lord that he, he gives us what we call unction. I pray for that. You know, if you're dealing with identity issues, you need to camp out on the last verse. Can you put that up again, Doug? Us out of all creation, we are God's prized possession. If you are a born-again believer in here, and he's talking to about believers, you are God's prized possession. Just like you mothers that maybe when you your first born or your babies were born became your prized possession, right? So you know what? We don't have to try to find our identity and how we look and how much we own and what we do. If we know that the king of all the universe that created all the galaxies, all the planets, and all the stars calls us his prized possession, we can be rooted in our identity in that. Right? We always say we are most high, we are the sons and daughters of the most high God. And more than that, we are his prized possession. Out of all the beauty of creation, and I love the outdoors and the mountains and all the stars in the sky, but we are his prized possession. So that's just a little extra. That's a bonus for you this morning. Hold on to that if you're struggling with identity. Find your identity. Let it be rooted in Christ and who he says you are in him. Amen. As we saw last week, a mature person is patient in trials. As I was just reading, I thought about you mamas again. Like, oh, those that are patient in, tri- in times of testing. Come on, how many of you mamas say them children be testing you, huh? They can test you, right? They can test your patience. They can test your nerves, right? So we love them, but, right? See, sometimes the trials are testings on the outside, but sometimes they're temptations on the inside. See, trials may be tests sent by God, or they may be temptations sent by Satan, encouraged by our own fallen nature. It is the temptations on the inside that James deals with in this section. So why did the Apostle James connect the two? What is the relationship between testing on the outside and temptation on the inside? Answer, if we're not careful, the testing on the outside may become temptations on the inside. What do I mean by that? Well, when circumstances get difficult in times of trial, we may find ourselves complaining against God, questioning God's love, and resisting his will. And at that point, Satan provides us with an opportunity to escape the difficulty, and that opportunity can turn into a temptation. Are you all tracking with me? When we're being tested, if we're not careful, and we start questioning who God is, his love, his goodness, which we'll look at all of that, it can become a temptation. And this is illustrated throughout the Bible. So obviously God does not want us to give in to temptation, but he won't keep us from the experience of temptation either. As I mentioned earlier, remember, it says that we are God's scattered people. He was writing to the Jewish believers that have been scattered because of persecution. Well, you know, we're scattered people too, right? We live all over different parts of Acadiana, Louisiana, uh, United States, and all over the world. We're God's scattered people. We're not his sheltered people. And as mamas and parents, we know the danger if you've ever tried or seen someone shelter their kids. It can be dangerous. Because they never learn how to go through trials and deal with hardships, right? So God doesn't shelter us from temptation, but he always shows us a way out. If we are to mature, which is the theme of of the the, the James's letter, we must face both testings on the outside and temptations on the inside. There are three facts that we must consider if we're going to overcome temptation that James shows us in these few verses. Number one, and probably maybe the most important, number one, you have to consider the consequences. Consider the consequences of giving in to temptation. 
Should I say, consider the consequences of sin. And James writes about that, James 1, 13 and 16. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Man, James is very blunt about that, right? This is the consequence of giving into temptation. It leads to sin, and sin leads to death. And that word death is actually spiritual death, which we'll see, which is separation from God. But it also, and you've seen it, can lead to physical death as well, right? People make poor decisions that lead to sin that can actually cause their physical death, but it's also spiritual death, right? So first of all, he says, when you're being tempted, do not blame God for temptation. God is too holy to be tempted, and he loves you too much to tempt you. God does test us, as we saw last week, but he does not and cannot be tempted. I remember right after I got saved, um, someone, uh, a friend of mine came into an apartment, actually lived in the same old house we lived in. We divided into four apartments, and, and I was tempted to take part in something, some sin that I had been taking part of before. And when I resisted the temptation and said, no, I'm not going to do that because I got saved and I gave my life to Jesus, and that person said, well, maybe God sent me over here to tempt you. And I said, no, God didn't send you over here. I said, the other one sent you over here. And what's crazy is that she knew I meant Satan. She started acting like she was slithering like a snake. And at that point, I said, you need to get out of my apartment, right? And so, and I, but I knew this scripture enough to know that, no, God's not tempting me. Satan's tempting me. And you need to, and she even confirmed it by her acting like she wasn't manifesting. She was just thought she was joking around, but I was like, you need to get out in Jesus name, right? <laughs> see, James tells us, look ahead and see where temptation leads. See, a temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in the wrong way outside of the will of God. Sometimes it's just temptation just to sin, to, 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 to fulfill, you know, uh, maybe an evil desire, some translations say, but also it can be an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in the wrong way. See, it's not wrong to want to pass a test, right? If you students that are in school, right? You want to pass your test, right? How many students are like, I'm glad school is almost over, right? It's not wrong to want to pass a test, but it's sin if you cheat on that test, right? You're accomplishing something good the wrong way. How many of you were like, were like me, BC, and used to get help from people on your test, right? That was temptation to do something the wrong way, right? It, it's not wrong to eat, but it's considered stealing if you steal food, right? That's a temptation. So, so you dads and you kids out there, we didn't give you a voucher because it's Mother's Day. Don't be trying to steal no beignets from the beignet box. That would be sin, right? You would be tempted to do something wrong, right? So... James describes, you see, listen, we often think of sin as a single act, but James breaks it down in these few passages of scripture that it's not just a single act. God sees it as a process. James describes this process of sin in a few ways. First, desire. He says it's your own desire. Some translations are your own evil desires. James 1.14, temptation comes from our own desires. The normal desires of life were given to us by God and of themselves, they are not sin. Isn't that right? Would you agree with that? Without these desires, we could not function. Let me give you some examples. Unless we felt hunger and thirst, we would never eat or drink and we would die. Without being tired, the body would never rest and would eventually wear out. Sex is a normal desire. Without it, the human race could not continue. So it is when we want to satisfy these desires in ways outside of God's will that we get into trouble. 
So for example, eating is normal, gluttony is a sin. Sleeping is normal, laziness is a sin. Sex was created by God and is normal, but sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sin. Amen? No matter how you slice it, it's sin. So these are natural desires and things put God put inside of us, but outside of God's will, it can be sin. So these desires must be our servants, not our masters. And it's possible for that to happen, to be mastered over, to, to overcome temptation through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me say this before I go any further. In 2 Corinthians, it says that when you're being tempted, you never will be tempted more than you can overcome. It says that because God will always show you the way out of temptation. Here's the key. You must be looking for the way out, though. Some people say, oh, man, I just fell into sin. Well, how hard were you looking if you just fell into it? We're always going to be tempted. James says, when you are tempted. You notice he didn't say if, right? He said, when Jesus said it this way in the gospels, he said, you will always have temptation. So if you are sitting here listening to me today, you say, man, Brandon, I can't wait till I become a mature Christian. I won't be tempted anymore. Wrong. As long as we're breathing and living, we're going to be tempted. Jesus himself was tempted yet without sin, right? So the first is desire. Second is deception. James 1.14, the New King James Version says this, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. See, no temptation appears as temptation. It always seems more alluring than it really is. We don't always even realize we're being tempted. See, James used two illustrations to prove this point, and a lot of us are very familiar with these. The word drawn away carries the idea of baiting of a trap, like a, like a hunter or a trapper would put trap, a bait inside of a trap, or like uh, deer hunters, we put, we put corn so deer come out, or even duck hunters, we, it's not really bait, but we put decoys to make ducks think that this is spread, right? It's a, it's a bait, so to speak, to have them come in. And check this out. The word enticed in the original Greek means to bait a hook. Now, I know my brother Sean right there would like that, that word. He loves to bass fish. We do some fishing together. It, that word actually means to bait a hook, just like you would bait a hook when you go fishing. See, the trapper, the hunter, the fisherman have to use bait to attract the fish or the prey that they want to catch. No animal is deliberately going to step into a trap, and most fish will not bite a naked hook. Now, I've seen some little brim. Sometimes you throw a hook out in a little pond, they'll bite it. But most fish, right, Sean, it won't just bite just a bare hook, right? The idea is to hide the trap and hide the hook. I had a brother come up to me after and, and say, man, you were just talking about it. I got to go fishing last week and we caught some fish. And he came up to me to show me his pictures and what he caught and, and the bait that he used and everything, right? And so we, have, we know that idea. That's the same picture that James is painting about temptation. He's saying Satan is trying to bait you. Uh, in temptation. See, temptation always carries with it the bait that appeals to these desires. The bait not only attracts us, but it also hides the fact that yielding to the desire will eventually, listen to me, bring sorrow, pain, and punishment. See, these fish don't know that when they bite on that bait, we're trying to set the hook and get them in the boat, right? Some people release them, and some people say they release them in Greece, right? So we can eat them, right? And so, right, we had a big men's fish fry. We got wild game cookout down here. We like to eat what we kill and catch, right? And so, but it's true. They, they, it causes them their ultimate demise. But guess what? It could cause you your demise as well. If you bite on the bait of Satan and he sets the hook in your mouth, the Bible says it leads to sin and even to death, right? 
We see this with King David. I just re- I was just reading through this in my daily reading time. King David looked at his neighbor's wife Bathsheba taking a bath. If he if he would have known that committing adultery would have co- would have caused such tragic consequences ahead, I don't think he ever would have did it. After he committed adultery and then had this lady's uh, husband killed to cover it up, her and David's baby died. Later on, in a consequence, we'll read later a part of that, the consequence of this sin, uh, his daughter was violated. Then the, the brother that violated his daughter was murdered. Then later, that sa- another son uh, was killed, rebelled against the kingdom and killed. So he had a daughter violated and two sons that were killed because of this act. See, the bait keeps us from seeing the consequences of sin. Y'all listen, I tell people all the time, I tell our children, I've, I've counseled many people when they're struggling with decisions and they're wanting to do something that we're warning them about. I always tell them another way to say it is always think about the end result. If you give into this temptation, what will be the end result? For David, it, it was tragedy in his family and, and death and, 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 and again, I mean, abuse and rebellion from his own son tried to take the kingdom and he got killed. I mean, it was, it was a consequence for what's going to be the end result? Loss of your job, loss of your marriage, loss of your children. Maybe, again, we know separation from God, maybe something physical. Even Jesus, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he always dealt with the temptation on the basis of the word of God. We know three times he said it is written. See, from a human point of view, turning rocks into bread to satisfy his hunger didn't seem like a bad thing, but not from God's point of view. In that moment, that's not, he was fasting. That's not what God wanted him to do. And Satan was trying to take a natural desire of him being hungry and caused him to sin against the Lord. But we know Jesus didn't. Because he knew the word of God, right? And he was able to overcome temptation with the word. So what does that tell us from this story with Jesus? When you know the Bible, you can detect the bait and deal with it decisively. Amen. Next, we move to disobedience. There's desire, deception, and then disobedience. You see, we have moved from desire to deception to now the will. Desire conceives a method for taking the bait. The will approves the act, and the result is sin. Whether we feel it or not, we are hooked and trapped, and sin is the result. So in order to overcome temptation, we must live according to God's will. Listen to me, church, not our feelings. This is where a lot of people get in trouble, is they're operating under their feelings. I've heard believers say, I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like fasting or coming to prayer meetings or I don't feel like it. Well, you know what? Children operate on the basis of feeling, but adults should operate on the basis of the will. They act because it's right, not, it doesn't matter how they feel. Let me ask you this question. Do you always feel like getting up and going to work on Monday morning? Do you? know? A lot of times we don't, but we know we have to get up and go to work, right? To pay the bills and to have food, right? So this explains why a lot of immature Christians easily fall into temptation because they're making decisions based upon their feelings. You may be struggling with temptation because you're basing it on your feelings instead of God's word and God's will. See, the more you live and make decisions based on God's will and word and saying no to temptation, the more God will work in your life. He promises this, Philippians 2, 13, for God is working in you. It doesn't say that he will be, he might be. It says God is. Somebody say God is. God is working in you, giving you the desire. Look at this, the desire now and the power to do what pleases him. 
See, our own desires drag us away into sin, but God gives us his desire and power to resist the temptation of sin, which ultimately pleases him, which moves to the final state. If we give in to temptation instead of, you see how our desires drag us away to sin, but God's desire help us to overcome temptation. So we go from desire to deception, uh, you know, uh, what, what was the third one I just said? Disobedience to the last one, death. James 1.15, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. See, disobedience gives birth to death, not life. It may take years for sin to mature, but when it does, the result is death. And I think this is another reason why people play with sin and temptation. Because they give into temptation, they sin, and nothing bad happens. And they're like, oh, cool, I didn't get caught. Nobody knew anything, and there's no consequence for it. But you know what? Sometimes the Bible says it takes time for sin to mature. Eventually, it will bite you. Eventually, there's going to be a consequence. So we have to understand that eventually can lead to death, which is spiritual death, which is separation from God, and even physical death. If we believe God's word and see this tragedy, it will encourage us not to give in to temptation. See, God has erected this one and these three things like almost like a barrier around us, considering the consequences of sin, right? We'll see a barrier if, if you understand these four stages of sin. These four stages of temptation and sin we're seeing in the first sin ever recorded in the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. The serpent dis used desire to entice Eve with the fruit. Then the serpent deceived Eve by telling her she wouldn't die and instead she'd become like God because God said, on the day you eat, surely you will die. Well, he deceived her and said, no, you won't die. You'll become like God. Thirdly, Eve disobeyed God by taking the fruit, eating it, and then she even shared some with her husband, and he disobeyed God. Now, listen, she was deceived. Adam was not. That's why when Adam took the fruit, he willingly sinned, and that's why the sin that plunged uh, the whole world into a sinful state came through Adam, not Eve, because he wasn't deceived. He should have been the man to cover his wife and say, no, we're not going to do that. But he willingly took the fruit, and it plunged the human race into a sinful state. And then both Adam and Eve experienced spiritual death, which was separation from God, and ultimately physical death. So whenever you're faced with temptation, get your eyes off of the bait and look ahead to the consequences of sin. The bait right there looks good, may taste good, it may feel good, but what's going to be the consequence at the end? Think about the end result. Now, because it is Mother's Day, I want to encourage you moms. I know a big temptation for moms, especially young moms, and I confirm this. I hear it a lot. I confirm this with my wife. I was talking to her about it. I was talking to my sister-in-law about it yesterday. One of the biggest temptations for you moms is the temptation to compare yourself to other moms and to think that you're not doing as good of a job than other moms are. And listen, that's it. Don't give in to that temptation. When you give in to the temptation that you're not doing as good as another mom, the end result is you'll never feel like you're ever good enough. You're ever a good enough mom. Listen with Galatians 4, 6. Best verse in comparison in the whole Bible. Pay attention to your, I'm sorry, pay careful attention to your own work. Mamas, you got some precious babies at home, and I know it's a lot of work, right? You got your hands full. But like somebody said, they're full of good things, right? Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you'll get the satisfactory of a job well done. And listen, you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Especially in the day and age of social media, it's easy to look at another mama's highlights and what they're doing with their kids and the crafts they're making and their cute outfits. And you're like, man, I can't even get my kid to comb their hair this morning, right? Hey, listen, 
Get your eyes off of what other people are doing on Facebook and Instagram and pay careful attention to those precious babies and gifts you got at home. Amen? And you won't need to compare yourself with others. Then you'll have the satisfactory of a job. Well done. Thank y'all, mamas. Come on. Y'all are doing a great job, by the way. You mamas are doing an awesome job. Keep up the good work. Amen? Now let's look at the second thing we need to consider when we're tempted. We can turn the corner here. Consider God's goodness. Look at what James says. James 1.17, whatever is good, everybody say good. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. You see, one of the enemy's tricks is to convince us that our Lord is holding out on us. And that he does not really love us and care for us. Remember, in the, especially in the course of trials, what we talked about last week, trials and testing. When we're going through difficult times, sometimes we think, the enemy will try to make us think, well, God doesn't love you because you're going through this. Where's God at now when you're going through such a tough time? He'll try to lie to us about that. We see Satan, you know, you could about imagine when Satan approached Eve, he suggested that if God really loved her, he would not permit, he would permit her to eat the fruit. Then when Satan tempted Jesus, he probably raised the question, well, if your father loves you, why are you so hungry, right? See, understanding the goodness of God will help you to overcome temptation. Since God is good, we do not need any form of sin to meet our needs. If we start to doubt God's goodness, we will be attracted to Satan's offer and the natural desires within our reach, we will reach for his bait. See, even Moses, Moses warned Israel not to forget God's goodness when they began to enjoy the blessings of the promised land. James shows us a few facts of the goodness of God. First, God gives us only good gifts, amen? Everything good in this world comes from God. If it's not from God, it's not good. If it comes from God, it must be good, even if we do not see the goodness immediately, right? Let's go back to you mamas, right? The Bible says that your children are a reward and a blessing from the Lord. Did you know that? The scriptures say that. Your children are a reward and a blessing from the Lord. This is a good gift from God. I know sometimes they test you and you want to lay hands on them without praying for them. Right, mamas and daddies? But they are a gift, right? They're a good gift from the Lord. They're a blessing from the Lord. Even the way God gives is good. You know, it's possible for someone to give us a gift in a way that is less than loving. You know, the value of a gift can be diminished by the way it's given. Right? What if I told you, mom, hey, we're giving y'all some beignets, but you can only have one. Don't, don't have more than one little piece of beignet, right? And it would just be like, if you do it, you know, you're going to, somebody's going to smack your hand. It'd be like, come on, Brandon, really, man? Trying to bless us today? Right? In the way, if you ever got a gift grudgingly given to you, it can be diminished by the way. But listen, by the way it's given, but God always gives in a good way. When God gives a gift, he does it lovingly in a gracious manner. He gives what he gives and how he gives are both good. Also, God gives constantly. The phrase comes down, again, I used this word a few weeks ago, this phrase is a present participle. So what James is saying is that it keeps on coming down. God's gifts keep coming down from, from heaven. God does not give occasionally. He gives constantly. Even when we don't see his gifts, he's sending them. You know, it's like that song, Waymaker. You ever heard the song? We sing it sometimes. Waymaker, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're, you're moving, right? You're, you're always working. You never stop working. Well, God never stops pouring out his gifts. And we know this because his word tells us. So it's, this is the kind of thing you got to remember when you're going through temptation and trials, that God is good. He loves you. Don't let the devil lie to you that he's withholding from you, right? And the next thing is God does not change. There's no shadows with the Father of lights. 
It's impossible for God to change. He cannot change for the worse because he's holy, and he cannot change for the better because he's already perfect. So you think about the light of the sun. The light of the sun varies on the earth when the earth is, is turning, right? That's why we have, you know, morning, noon, afternoon, and night, right? So we, sometimes there's no sun shining on the earth. Does that mean that the sun is not shining? No, the sun is constantly shining 24-7, but the way that the earth positions itself, we don't always have the same amount of light. So what am I saying? If shadows come between us and the Father, he did not cause them because he's unchanging. He's always shining his light. This means that we should never question his love or doubt his goodness when difficulties come or temptations appear. See, going back to King David and when he fell into temptation, if King David had remembered the goodness of God in his moment of temptation, I don't believe he would have taken Bathsheba and committed these horrible sins of, of killing her husband. That's what the prophet Nathan told him. Look at this. After, after he gets conf- he's getting confronted by the prophet Nathan here, Nathan tells him a parable and then tells him, you're the man that I'm talking about. Look what it says in 2 Samuel 12, 7 and 8. Then Nathan said to David, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king of Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Now watch this. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that hadn't been too little, I also would have given you much more. You see that? He was reminding him of how much God gave him and that they were good gifts. And they were going to continue to come. But David forgot in that moment how good God was and his gifts, and he fell into a horrible sin, right? He chose to sin because in the moment, I believe he forgot God's goodness. Listen, and you may want to write this down. God's gifts are always better than than Satan's bargains. Let me say that again. God's gifts are always better than Satan's bargains. Satan never gives us gifts because you always end up paying for them, and they're very costly. Very costly. I mean, you probably heard it years ago. We heard a great message that sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Always. You need to remember that. That's another way to remember. So the next time you're tempted, meditate on the goodness of God in your life. If you think you need something, wait on the Lord to provide it. Never toy with Satan's bait. Amen? So consider the consequences. Number two, consider God's goodness. And the third and final thing, consider God's divine nature within you. Look at James 1.18. He he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. See, those of us that are born again, we have the nature of Christ inside of us now. James used the birth as a picture of desire leading to sin and death in James 1.15. Then he uses it again here to explain how we can enjoy the victory of overcoming the temptation and sin. The picture of a mother giving birth shows the full scope of God's parental love for his children. Just as you mothers have given birth to your children and you still love them today dearly with all your heart. Right, mamas? Isn't that right? I heard a man once told me, nobody's ever going to love you like Jesus and your mama. Isn't that true too, right? I mean, us daddies, we love our kids, but nobody's going to love you like Jesus and your mama. And it's so true, right? But it's more than God's love for us. It's God's divine nature within us. In John 3, Nicodemus, after Jesus tell him he must be born again, he thought he had to go back and re-enter into his mother's womb. But he was wrong. The divine birth is not a natural birth. 
It's a work of God. So just as we do not generate our own human birth, we cannot generate our spiritual birth, being born again. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it's God who performs this miracle. And I say it all the time, being born again is the greatest miracle that can ever take place on the face of this earth. We did not earn it or deserve it, but God has given us this new spiritual birth because of his grace and will. No one can be born again because of his relatives, his resume, or his religion. Let me say that again. No one can be born again because of his relatives, his resume, or his religion. Just as a human birth, it has to be from God. Just as a human birth required two parents, so the divine birth has two parents. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. See, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring about the miracle of new birth, spiritual birth. Since the Word of God is living and powerful, it can generate life in the heart of the person who trusts in Christ. It is this experience of the new birth that helps us to overcome this temptation. Christ's nature inside of us by the Holy Spirit. See, if we let the old nature from the first birth, our natural birth, take over, we will fail in the face of temptation every time. You can't just willpower this thing. You can't say, man, I'm strong enough. I'm, 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 I'm going to get through it. No, you got to have the new nature inside of you, the Christ-like nature that was produced by the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation. See, we received our old nature from Adam, and he failed, as we saw. But we receive our new nature from Christ, and he is victorious, right? We sang about it earlier. The resurrected king, the victorious king, lives inside of us so we can be victorious over temptation. You know, I read about a story about a, a child, just a, a small child who's in Sunday school, and he explained it in simple terms like this. He said, two men live in my heart, the old Adam and Jesus. When temptation knocks, somebody has to answer the door. If I let Adam answer, I will sin. So I send Jesus to answer, and he always wins. Amen? Come on, out of the mouth of babes, right? Of a little child speaking truth like that. So now, this new nature also must be fed by the Word of God daily, so it's strong to fight the battles of temptation. Just as the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to give you spiritual birth, he uses the Word to give you spiritual strength. To overcome. So today, what do I mean? Just to explain a little more. As I'm even preaching the gospel today, preaching the Bible, the Holy Spirit, I believe and know that he's confirming the things I'm saying. And even in a minute, you may have not been born again yet. And as you hear the gospel message, you hear the word being preached and the spirit of God confirms it as two parents. And then in that produces a new life in Christ, being born again. So as I close, it doesn't matter what excuses we make, we have no one to blame for sin but ourselves, right? Our own desires lead us away into temptation and eventually sin. We can't blame God. We can't blame our mama, our daddy, our boss. We can't blame the government. We can't blame your team if they lost a game, right? There's no one to blame but ourselves. But, but the, the Bible gives us three ways, three boundaries and, and barriers, so to speak, that we can overcome temptation, right? So to, to illustrate this as we close, again, God's put this, look at it as a barrier. Consider the consequences. Consider the goodness of God and consider the divine nature, right? the power of God. Another way to say it is the power of the Holy Spirit's living inside of you. We got something going on in our house right now at home that is a great illustration of that. And I just thought about it this week as I was preparing and studying. 
So, you know, I've talked to you about our dog before. We got a dog about a year and a half ago. And if you remember, by the way, I wanted to update you. I think last year, yeah, it was last year, I told you I was preaching on purpose one day and I was using him as an illustration that we love our dog because he's a, he's, a, he's a family dog now, but he also has a purpose, right? As a duck hunter, his purpose is to go get them birds for me, right? And he was in training. And at the time I said, man, I hope he fulfills his purpose. Well, first season he has. He's doing great as a retriever. He's, he's, he's did well on some hunts. He's still training him. I'm working with him. He's doing great. You know, so he's fulfilling his purpose, right? Well, lately, he did it before. He has this thing. There's a big name for it. I don't think, I don't know if our, if our vet's here. Dr. Broussard, if you're here, I don't know. He wasn't at the first service. Dr. Richard Broussard is our vet. Uh, he's a part of our church. Um, he told me about the scientific name, but he ends up licking and, and licking his paws and his leg excessively and gnawing on it to breaks in the big sores. If any of you got dogs that have done that or whatever, I had somebody in the first service that's like, yeah. So, you know, he, he's done it where it's, it's it, there would be little sores. We got it under control. We put a cone on him. Uh, there's a movie that calls it the cone of shame, right? But uh, it's actually called an e-collar. And that's a barrier we put on him to try to prevent him from, from biting and licking himself. And so he had one on each of Paul. Both of those were starting to heal through medicine and the cone. It's like, man, it, it's coming along good. Well, one night we wake up and he has a sore about that big on his leg that he licked him. I was going to show you pictures of that, but I don't want to gross you out. So it's like, man, what's going on? He's, he's bypassing this barrier, you know? And then the next morning we woke up, he had one even bigger. It was even longer and wider. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So man, I, I called the vet and was like, man, what, what do we do here? You know? And, and so he's like, well, man, you got to get creative with these dogs. You may have to take the biggest cone that they have and I could find. And I did. And you may have to take another cone because, look, trust me, we've done like five rounds of cones on this dog. And we got to add to it. So I had to actually take a piece of another cone and tape it and extend it to put a bigger barrier. Check this dude out right here. Look at him. Look at him now. <laughs> this brother here got like a huge, I keep asking him, man, how many channels you catch with that thing, right? You got a big old satellite head on him, right? So why am I using this illustration? I know it's funny and it's like, we don't keep it on him all the time. I mean, when we can't watch him or whatever, but we take it off for him to eat and drink and play and when I'm training him and all that. But why am I saying this? Why, why did I use my dog as an example? You see, he doesn't understand the consequences of his actions. As a dog, he don't understand that the more he licks and gnaws, he's going to make bigger sores and it's going to get worse. It can get infected and all. He's, just, he's a dog, right? He just does it. It's amazing. The vet even said they actually, like working dogs like that, that like to hunt and stuff, they release endorphins in their brain by excessive licking. Isn't that crazy? They, I never knew that. Fun fact of the day. Anyway, so I had to put a barrier around them. And listen, I did this. We did this because we love him and we want him to be healthy. Y'all see where I'm going with this? If we understand the three barriers that the Lord has given us, it's not restrictions. It's barriers because he loves us and he wants us to live a healthy life, a life full of purpose, right? A life of, a full, of, a full of joy because even we don't realize sometimes how we harm ourselves by the decisions we make. So we must understand the consequences of sin, the goodness of God and God's divine nature that empowers us. Because you know what? As we read earlier, those that patiently endure testing and trials will receive the crown of life. But if we give in to sin, we receive death. So you have a choice. We can either receive a crown or we can find a coffin. You have to make the decision. Think about that next time you're being tempted. The end result, if you resist and overcomes a crown, if you give in to temptation, it could lead to a spiritual or even a physical coffin. Amen. 
We must have that divine nature on the inside of us as the beginning. Remember I said the only way you can get God's divine nature is you must be born again. So as I close this thing up, I referred to Jesus and Nicodemus' conversation in John 3 earlier. I want to show you exactly what Jesus told Nicodemus to make him think he had to reenter his mother's womb, right? Which he was, he was wrong. John 3, 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And the actual word born again actually means born from above. That's what it means, right? So when I talked about the new birth, a spiritual birth, it's not physical. Let me say this. Another big temptation to believe in this day and age, even sadly in some churches, is that you can see or enter the kingdom of heaven from being a good person. People say you can enter the kingdom from going to church or giving a little money in the tithe box or helping people out. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Keep that up, Doug. What does our Lord and Savior say? I tell you the truth, unless, in in other words, the only way you can see the kingdom of God is by being born again. Just as we celebrate you mamas that birthed children or are conceived and had children or even adopted children, right? It was a natural birth. Jesus said there's a second birth, a spiritual birth. And we obtain that by turning away from our sins, which means to repent, surrendering our life to Christ. As I explain what that means, he goes on to say, man, how, it doesn't make sense. Just as you know where the wind comes and goes, you can't explain in the natural how somebody's born again because it's supernatural and it's a miracle. So again, some people have ended their life early because of decisions and they've ended in a coffin. And we don't know where everybody's spending eternity right now. But you can know for sure. I'm going to honor my mom one more time. I've said this many a times. And I'm going to ask you the same question. When my mom was witnessing to me before I got saved, one time she said, baby, if you died today, where would you spend eternity, in heaven or hell? And I said, mama, I don't know. And she said, baby, if you don't know, it means you're going to the wrong place. And she was absolutely right. So are you born again? If you can't say 100%, Brandon, I know I'm born again. I'll spend eternity in heaven. Then you're not. Because, see, the Bible tells us that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit when we get saved. And we know, like, I've messed up a lot in the last 20 years I've been saved, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, when I breathe my last here, I'm going to transfer over into eternity. Would you bow your head with me, close your eyes? It's not because anything I do is not because I'm a pastor. It's because I place my faith in Christ, my trust in Christ. With every head by every eye closed, nobody looking around or walking around right now, please, either. I ask you the same question my mom asked me many years ago. If you died today, where would you spend eternity? There's no holding place. There's no purgatory. It's heaven or hell. Where would you spend eternity? If you say, Brandon, I'm not sure, I'll tell you like my mom said, it means you're going to the wrong place. But you could be sure today. You could walk out of this building better than any treat or any flower, any gift we can give you. The greatest gift can be you receiving Christ and being born again. You say, Brandon, I'm not sure, but I want to be sure. I, want, I need to be born again today. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Say, I'm not sure if I'd enter the kingdom of heaven. Way back to my right, I see your hand. Hands going up all over. Amen. Anybody else? Come on, raise your hand high. Come on, raise it high. Don't be bold before the Lord. I, I can see it, but I want you to, I, I want it to be a sign of surrender. Anybody else? Say, Brandon, I, I, need, a, I need to be born again. Or you might say, man, I, I once was born again and walking with the Lord, but I went away, man. I fell into temptation and sin. And it led me into a life of, of in the world. I need to give my life back to Christ. I need to surrender again to them. If that's you, slip up your hands. Say, man, I, I need to renew my, my relationship with God. I see other hands going up. Thank you. Come on, be bold. Lift your hand high. We're going to pray together. 
The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. You shall be born again is what that means. Come on, let's all pray this together. Those of you with your hands raised and the rest of us as a church, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying in my place, Lord. Lord, I know that I've sinned and I repent of my sin today. I turn to you and I surrender my life. I make you my Lord and Savior. Now, Lord, give me the grace and the strength to live for you and to overcome temptation all the days of my life that I would know my purpose and make a difference. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's celebrate with these this morning. Hallelujah. God bless y'all. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or first time in a long time, fill out the connection card in the chair in front of you. Bring it to the info center. We got a Bible for you. Hey, why don't you stand up with me? Come on, can we pray through this real quick? And I want to pray one more blessing over the mamas. Then I'll let you go take your pictures and get your treats. Come on, sweet treats for our sweet mamas here. Come on, how many of y'all say, hey, man, you know what? I want to I wanna overcome temptation. I wish I could say I overcome every temptation I face, but the truth is I don't. What about you? I need help. Come on. Come on, let's ask the Lord to help us. Would you raise your hand if you say, Brandon, I want more help to overcome and be strengthened and resist temptation. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that these things that James showed us, you showed us through the book of James, help us to consider the consequences of sin, to see the end result before we give in to any temptation. Whether it's the temptation to have a bad attitude, to talk bad about somebody, compare somebody, or some physical act of sin. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, help us to see the end result and understand the consequence. Lord, help us to remember your goodness. You withhold nothing from us. No good thing. All good and perfect things come down from you, Heavenly Father. And we thank you. Remind us of your goodness each and every day. You're sending gifts the way you send them constantly, Lord. And thank you for the divine nature. I pray everybody now has the divine nature of Christ living in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, and I pray that you would help us, Holy Spirit. Show us the way out when we're being tempted so we can be victorious and live a life holy that glorifies you. I thank you for our mamas in here one more time. May your blessing be upon them. May they feel special, honored, and blessed today in all the days of their lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen and amen. Well, God bless y'all. We love y'all.